And good morning. I invite you to join with me in a time of prayer together. Father God, we have come to revel in your faithfulness, that your promises are sure, that your pledges are strong, and your grip on us will never, ever let us go. How grateful we are for your faithfulness, for holding true to all of your promises. And we acknowledge that we are really undeserving of that, but yet you have made us uh, your daughters and your sons and brought us into your family. And uh, just thank you that you love us like that. And you promise to do your work and your purpose in us and through us. Just thank you for those promises and help us to rest assured in you. And Lord, it's in uh, your promises and your faithfulness that we uh, lift up our needs and our concerns to you. Give you thanks for answers to prayer. We give you blessing that uh, Gail's surgery went well and uh, Pastor Mary's too. And I uh, look forward to hearing her good report in, uh, a little bit later this morning. And Father, we lift up uh, Pam and David and Joe, that you will provide for them. And in the different places with their, where they are living, that you will uh, meet the needs that they have. Father, we lift up uh, little Calvin Quinlan, who is going in for uh, surgery tomorrow. We pray, Lord, that whether it is just your hand alone or if it is your hand leading the surgeon's hand, we pray, Lord, that you would bring the healing that Calvin needs, that you would give to Shauna, and that you would give to Kaylin your presence and your care and your comfort. We pray for those who are... Uh, struggling, those with needs, those who are concerned about family members, those who are concerned about their family. Uh, Father God, quietly and silently in our heart, we lift our own personal needs to you, that you would bring uh, restoration, healing, forgiveness, whatever it is that uh, the situation needs. We pray that your spirit will bring this forth. We pray for our missionary partners, and today and this week, we pray especially for Pastor Robert, that you will bless him and his family as they lead the, uh, the church plant here in Wyoming. Guide them and direct them and give them courage and perseverance in the work that they do. Thank you, Father God, so much for your loving kindness for us. Thank you that you always act in your faithfulness, and your ways with us are true and pure. We thank you and bless you for that. And we lift up ourselves and our needs to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Genesis, Genesis 28. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. You can follow along on your phone or tablet or follow with the words as they are here or just listen as I speak them aloud. 
as I read it, I invite you to join with me by standing either inwardly in your heart or physically before God and reverence before him as we hear these words from the book that we love. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head to lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. In our culture, we become somewhat skeptical of promises, diet plans, detergents, do I dare say politicians, promises that seem too good to be true. Uh, Certain companies have given their products certain names to sort of evoke a sense of trust that these products will do what they say they will do, like pledge or promise or ensure. These are words that help give us confidence in them. Or this one, depends. Not really quite a full promise, is it? Is it going to hold? Well, it depends. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, but they want us to treat them as being reliable. This talk series is about the promises that God has given that he is faithful to, even when we are not faithful. The big story of God is that his creatures made in his image rebelled against him and sin entered all of humanity. God did not run away from humanity, but God chose to rescue humanity from itself. 
To do so, he chose one person, one family line. And through this one family line, he made promises. And through this family, he would bring a rescue and a blessing to all the peoples of the world. Promises that we know are ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, God's Son, who meets our deepest needs, whose promises are sure. People are asked time after time to put their trust in the faithfulness of God. And sometimes people respond by saying, is God really that dependable? Can we really put our full trust in him? I think most of us know the answer to that. But this is part of the story of today, part of the story of Jacob. But God gives to Jacob promises, assurances, And Jacob is changed because of that. Let's get into the story. Jacob is the youngest of two twins. He was a conniver, his name meaning literally little heel grabber, grabbing the heel of his elder brother as he was born before him. Uh, Jacob is not the typical person that we would think is worthy or deserving of the promises of God. And yet he is, because of God's grace and goodness. Jacob deceives his elder brother out of the birthright. And then he deceives his father to receive the family blessing that was due to Esau. Having deceived his brother and his father, His father finally dies, and Jacob and his mother know that this is now the time that Esau is going to make a move, if he is, and in fact, he's planning on it. Rebekah tells Jacob, leave this place, go to the home of my ancestors, the land of Haran, which is 600 miles away. And so Jacob takes off to go to the place where Rebekah was born and grew up. Jacob is in trouble. He's on the run. He's running. What's he running from? Is he running from Esau? Is he running from fears? Is he running from guilt? What's he running from? What have you been running from? What are you running from? This week I had breakfast with a a good friend of mine, fellow pastor. This week marks five years of sobriety for him. Still goes to AA meetings every day. We got together to kind of celebrate a little bit about this. And we talk about it when we get together, amongst other things. And he'll say, you know, and he he owns his mistakes and his choices. Doesn't blame it on anyone. He owns it. And when he was in trouble, you know, know, he ran, what he says, I ran inside myself. Didn't run away, but I ran inside myself. I ran to the bottle. I ran to my office upstairs and closed the door. 
by the grace of God and how grace also works through people, through friends, through others, God has given to him restoration and new hope. But trouble can often lead us to run. What direction do we run to? Well, this running tires you out, and it tired uh, Jacob out. It says that he stopped uh, 50 miles away from Beersheba, their home, in what was called the city of Luz. And the words say in Genesis, when he had reached a certain place, which means it's not a significant place, there was nothing special about this place, it was just a place. The sun had set, it was getting cold, found a rock for a pillow, maybe he built a fire, maybe he was hungry, lonely, and went to sleep. Someone who was running, but he wasn't running away from God. This was a place where God met him, which for us is comforting because God meets us in many different places doing many different things. It might be a little confusing. Well, why does God still meet with Jacob? Because he's definitely not worth it, we think. But to God, he definitely is. In this place of no significance, in a time of great need, God revealed not only himself, but his promises to Jacob. He had a dream of a ladder from earth to heaven. Angels were on the stairway, going up and coming down. Angels who serve God. In the dream, God is telling Jacob that God is pursuing him. There's nowhere Jacob can go that would be outside of God's vision, watching caring. And the angels are bringing that message. The angels are the ones who are making the delivery by going up, down the staircase. Isn't this great? As undeserving as Jacob is, God responds to him such faithfulness, grace, and goodness. Isn't that great? As undeserving as we are, God sent his Son, our Savior, for us. It tells us that it doesn't matter how much turmoil our life is in, it doesn't matter the junk that we have, it doesn't matter even how long we have been on the run away from God, God's presence is always, always there. C.S. Lewis, who is a favorite of many people, has given one of the titles to God, the great hound of heaven, like a hound dog that keeps sniffing and pursuing and never lets go. The great hound of heaven, pursuing. And there in this dream, God gives promises to Jacob. What's intriguing about, to me about the promises within the dream is that there is a, a drastic contrast between what the living God promises and what the cultural gods of the day offer. 
These are promises that the cultural gods of that day could not offer. Uh, for example, the gods of the day, gods were often viewed as being connected with a certain piece of land, with a small area. When you walked into an area, there, there was a god who was supposedly over that land. Uh, the cultural gods were only concerned about leaving their people in fear, giving enough sacrifice, and maybe they'll be gracious benevolence towards them. We have cultural gods today, cultural gods that make some of these same promises here, but the difference is, is they can't deliver. And when it gets to crunch time, the cultural gods of our day don't deliver, but God does. Here are the promises. Father God promised land. The land that Jacob was sleeping on would become the homeland. Promised a lineage. The Jacob's seeds or descendants would spread throughout the earth. He promised a redeemer. That there would be coming, and it says in there, an offspring. One who would come to bring redemption to the world. He promised his presence. Wherever Jacob would go, whether it was that land or whether it was somewhere else, he would never be outside of the watchful eye of God. And he promises a purpose. That God is going to fulfill his purpose through Jacob. Reminds me of that promise that is given in Philippians 1 verse 6, where, God, where it says, He who began a good work in you will perform it until that day. God has his purpose and his plans for us. God was in pursuit, and Jacob's response, as you might think, is, uh, first of all, one that's filled with awe. He thought he was alone. He thought he was uncared for. He thought he was a stranger in a strange land. But he was wrong. God was there loving him, seeing him, helping him, present with him. God's presence is with us when we're doing our homework, when we're making a business call, when we're washing dishes, when we're practicing piano. God is there with us. And he's filled with awe. It, what does it say there? It says that he awoke from his sleep. It says, verse 17, he was afraid. Wrong word. Really, he was filled with awe, is what that word literally means. He is, he is overcome with the presence of God. Maybe he looked into the mirror and saw how unworthy he was of deserving this, but yet uh, overcome by this incredible promise and presence of God. It was a turning point in his life where he uh, made a commitment before God. Sometimes we call commitments uh, professions or dedications. It was a commitment that he made to God. Jacob made what's commonly called a standing stone or a masaboth, something that happened in a certain place. 
the stone that is raised up says something with God happened here. That's what standing stones in the Bible are about. I had an experience of God and his presence here at this place. Standing stones were testimonies of God's goodness. People would put standing stones so that when strangers would walk by, they would notice it as a standing stone, and they'd say, well, what happened here? And then the residents of the land would say, well, let us tell you what happened here when God showed up. That was the purpose of a standing stone. Let me tell you God's story of what took place here. He anointed the stone with oil, a cultural symbol being set apart, being dedicated by God. And the name of the place was changed from Luz to Bethel, which literally means the house of God. Beth, meaning house. El, one of the names of God. Bethel, house of God. Visual expressions of the inner change that was taking place in Jacob's life. And there he makes a promise that he's going to respond to God as faithfully as he can to the faithful way that God has treated him. If you, if you notice in the verse, it, it seems it's like rather conditional. I don't know if you caught that when I read through. It said, if God will be with me and will watch over me, if God will do this, sounds rather conditional, doesn't it? If God will do that, well... That's not what it means in the Hebrew. What it means is since God is with me. It was simply a Hebrew idiom which expects certainty. Unfortunately, the translators translated it if, which gives us some uncertainty, but in its original form, it is very certain. Since God, you will be with me, and since you will do these things, I respond to you. Sort of like that verse in Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? Is it causing, calling into question whether God is for us or not? No. It means, right? Because God is with me, who can be against me? Same thing here in Genesis 28. So Jacob promises to give to the Lord uh, one-tenth of all that he's given to reflect his thankful heart. In a way, the offering that Jacob promises is a standing stone in and of itself. Ever think about our offerings and our tithes about a standing stone? A testimony of how God has been at work in our life and we're simply expressing our thankfulness back? These are the promises that are given in Jacob's fulfillment. Well, God has a fulfillment to his promises, and we know that, here we go, right way. The fulfillments of so many of God's promises are found in the coming of his son some 2,000 years ago. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. For Emmanuel means God with us. These promises find their ultimate fulfillment in God's Son, Jesus. He is not just a messenger. He is the stairway. He is the bridge. He is the ladder. Well, whatever thing that works for you in talking about how we are connected to God, he is the one. And what he did was not done in a trance, it wasn't a dream, it was something in history through his death and his resurrection. He cleared the way for us to be restored in community to God. For all those who believe and receive, Jesus brings us into the presence of Father God. And he is the one who continues to carry our prayers to him. So sometimes in dark times and sad times and confusing times, we need assurances. When we're trying to understand so many of the whys in our life, we need to be reminded of the promises that God is with us and that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And that's what God is doing this morning as we come to the table. More on that in just a few moments. Jesus himself proclaims that he is that stairway to the Father, that he is the bridge to Father God that brings humanity into God's presence. Jesus had an encounter when he was here on earth in his ministry with a man by the name of Nathaniel. You'll find it in John chapter 1. And immediately, Jesus made an impression with Nathaniel that Jesus was a son of God and here on a mission. And when Nathaniel confessed that to Jesus, Jesus responded to Nathaniel's words with these words from John 1. Jesus said, you believe that I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Might Jesus be pulling in this Old Testament story to talk about the presence of God? that he is the way to the presence of God. Coming up to four years, my first surgery, 
The first surgery took six hours. And uh, bless God, it came through it well. Renee actually saw me when they were transporting me from uh, the recovery room to intensive care. And she was encouraged because I was looking pretty good for having gone through uh, that surgery and got settled in my place. And uh, Renee went home that night. That was our plan. She would go home every night because it was a marathon and not a sprint. And that night, my blood pressure dropped. And it dropped quite a bit. And there was a lot of medical people coming in all night long. And the nurse told me the next morning that he had kept probably three doctors up through the night on the phone trying to find a way to get my blood pressure to come back up because it was too low. But God blessed them, and they did, and uh, I got better. Uh, a few days later, I had another thing that was going on. I don't need to go into detail. It wasn't as serious as that, but it was Friday night, and Renee had left. And I was praying, God, what's going to happen? Uh, what are your promises to me? What do you want from me? And I prayed a prayer that I don't pray often enough. I learned it from Richard Foster. Is that name familiar? It's in uh, his discipline book. And it's a prayer that says, God, do you have anything you want to say to me? Sometimes I get a little too scared from praying that prayer. God, do you have anything you want to say to me? So I prayed it. And I believe that I was asleep. I believe it was a dream. And I was there in the bed in that room. And someone dressed as a nurse came in. Not as spunky as the nurses at St. Mary were, but came in with a mask and sat down on the bed. My dream. And I said, as I looked at her, you're an angel, aren't you? And you're dressed as a nurse so as not to frighten me. She shook her head, and I just looked. And she said, you are going to make it. Just kept looking at her for about 10 seconds, and then she got up. She walked out of the room. There are times we need these assurances, and these assurances are all around us. Sometimes we are the ones who unfortunately put on the blinders that we don't see them, acknowledge them for what they are. And it, that came to me that time, not because I'm better than anyone or more important than anyone. And those of you who know me know that I believe that that is true. But at times, he gives us the assurances that we need to carry us through. That assurance for us this morning, that he sees us, he has not left us, that he is present with us, found in the bread and the cup. There are different views about what the Lord's Supper is. There is the, and I, I so as I talk about these, I'm not trying to diss other, other uh, Christian faith expressions, right? This is just the way it is. There's the Roman 
Catholic view that says there is a literal presence of Jesus in the bread and the cup, and we don't hold to that. There is a, a more independent view that says it's, it's merely a symbol. It's just a symbol. That's all that it is. We're just making a statement. It's a symbol. And uh, we, in our Reformed view, uh, hold to uh, a different view, and that is that there is a, a spiritual presence of Christ, not a literal, but a spiritual presence of Christ in the bread and the cup. C.S. Lewis, who uh, really hated Calvinism, he's someone that Calvinists really like to read, and CRC pastors really love to quote, said of communion, communion, if you want a touch of heaven, it is the second closest thing on earth that you're going to get to heaven. The first thing is another human being who is made in the image of God. And so when we come to the table, God's saying, you can be so assured that I am with you, just as that bread is being incorporated into your body and the juice being incorporated into your body. Uh, you can know that I am with you. And it says that he gives us the assurance and the comfort of that, because there's, there's a, a spiritual presence of, of Christ here. I think one of the reasons why maybe I don't uh, pray that prayer that Richard Foster taught me more often or that others don't is because I might know what he's going to say. Uh, Souser, why don't you get this part of your life strained up? Souser, how come we don't do this over here? And it's really, I think, a wrong perspective because I think when we hear from God what God really wants to tell us is, is so much about his love and his grace. And we might be afraid that he's going to say something that's going to uh, get us down when really his heart, what he wants to do is to give us something that assures us and cares for us. And he wants us to be able to hear that. This morning, he wants us to hear that. He wants us to taste it. And he wants us to touch it. And to be reminded that, that there's nowhere that we can go that be outside the presence and the watchful eye of God. Please pray with me. Father God, we bless you so much for your love. Thank you for your continual care for us. Thank you for your watchful eye. As we turn our thoughts to your table, we uh, thank you again for your love, and we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words of assurance and love, and we want to feel your touch on our shoulder. And we pray, Lord, that you would draw us close to you, and as you say, also close to one another. We come to you because you are our God and our Savior. Thank you.
Amen.